Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, where we interview Laura Morby and talk about foreclosures. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Scott Trench, and with me today is James Daynard from the On the Market Podcast. James, how's it going today? It's going good, man. I'm excited to be back on money. I like hanging out with you. Awesome. Me too. It's great to see you. Um, and James and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else, to introduce you to every money story and every money opportunity, because we truly believe financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter where or when you're starting. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on and make big-time investments in assets like real estate or start your own business, we'll help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so you can launch yourself towards your dreams. We have a new segment of the show called The Money Moments, where we share a money hack, tip, or trick to help you on your financial journey. And today's money moment is have a weekly budget check-in with yourself, your partner, or your family. Are you on track? Are you at risk of spending too much? Do you need to cut back? Check in regularly and make adjustments from there. A money date, for example. Do you have a money tip for us? Email moneymoment at biggerpockets.com. All right. Before we bring in Laura, quick note, Laura is enjoying the beautiful summer nature experience of Montana and records is recording from a lake house with a beautiful, beautiful backdrop. You might hear a little bit of wind uh, here and there throughout the, the podcast. Just know that's not your earbuds. That's the uh, beautiful Montana wind flowing through and making it onto our show. So let it take you there. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com bp. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. The easiest way to collect rent? RentApp. RentApp is a seamless, secure, free payment tool for small rental property owners like you and me. Built by a team of fintech veterans behind Square and Cash App, RentApp uses ACH bank transfers to deposit rent directly into your account. Landlords love RentApp for its unbeatable convenience. Isn't it time you made rent collection easier? Rent app, the free and easy way to collect rent. Learn more at rent.app slash landlord. That's rent.app slash landlord. You're trying to close on your next rental. So why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, 
Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Laura has had a long history in real estate from working as an eviction assistant, buyer's agent, and real estate agent with 100% sign rate of short sale listing appointments. And Laura is now in the top 0.05% of real estate agents with over $7 million in combined sales for 2021. Laura Morby, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. We are so excited to talk to you today. Oh my gosh, I'm truly honored to be here. Thank you so much. We're going to have to get you some updated stats for me because 2021 just isn't cutting it anymore. All right. 2022 and 2023 are off to even better. Uh, 2022 is even better. Yep, absolutely. All right. So top 0.01% of real estate agents or thereabouts for uh, Laura Morby here. So Laura, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself and your real estate journey for folks who are not familiar with you? Absolutely. So I am a daughter of a general contractor, grew up Sunday afternoons going walking property with my dad. Um, And I got my license when I was super young. I was 22 years old. And um, been licensed since 2010, so I've been in it for quite a bit of time. But when I originally got licensed, I definitely wasn't thinking investor. I was thinking normal retail real estate agent, meaning working with buyers and sellers who are actually going to live in the homes. And I was in the office every single day trying to do open houses, um, working my sphere, um, farming areas, doing whatever I could, and it just wasn't happening for me. And um, an investor who rented an office right next to the bullpen where I was every day just begging people to get in the car with me um, noticed me and I think probably took a little bit of pity on me. And so he decided to offer me a job just to make some extra money. Um, He at the time was bidding at the foreclosure auctions and flipping a ton of property. And so what I did for him was going and picking up keys, installing lockboxes, evicting people, taking photos, things like that. Um, so nothing glamorous by any means. I guess you could qu- call me a runner. Back then we were called runners. And so I was just driving all over the valley, helping him out. But what it showed me is that there is a whole world of being a realtor where you're selling and buying a ton of property, making a ton of money and having a lot of fun. And that was my first dipping my toes into this side of the business. And ever since then, It's almost been 15 years now, but it seemed like the industry kept pulling me back. I kept trying to be a retail agent just because I thought that's what success meant as a realtor. And um, it just kept pulling me back into the investor side. And probably about five to seven years ago, I decided to fully commit to it. And that was the best decision I've ever made. I've never made so much more money. I've never ranked so high. I've never had as much success as fully devoting myself to this side of the business. And, and so your your career, uh, you know, really got running here in the uh, heart of the Great Recession, right? In the 2008-2011 period, um, when you made this you made this transition and you became familiar with every aspect of real est- residential real estate investing, I presume, and are an expert in many of these categories. But I believe you've had a particular strength in uh, working with foreclosures. Can you talk to us a little bit about that specifically? Yeah. So um, from working with the, the guy who was bidding at the foreclosure auction, I decided to try to go back into being a retail agent. And I ended up working, getting offered a job to work for a trustee sale. So in Arizona, we don't have mortgages. We have tr- deeds of trust. So I got offered a job to work at a bidding service company. And so What that entailed was we would get the list of everything that was going up for auction the next day. 
And back then it could be hundreds of properties, thousands of properties. And one of the owners had created this really cool program that would take Zillow's estimates compared to the opening bid. And it would run through the data and it would kind of rank them what could potentially be the best deals for us. And of course, Zillow's estimates are horribly inaccurate. So then we'd come in every morning, 6 a.m. in this little 10 by 10 office. We'd all be squished in there with our laptops and we would just comp through everything that was deemed a potential good deal. And then we would come up with our hot list and we would send out an actual runner every morning by 7.30. And so unfortunately, we were one of the people that dispatched somebody that was climbing walls and looking in windows and checking out AC units and hopping up on the roof if he could to see if it was occupied. What's the status of the AC unit? How bad of shape is the property? Anything that he could find out. He would take videos, send it to our investors, and then we would go to the auction and bid for them, whatever they wanted. So that was really fun and really good. But we realized that there was a ton of opportunity for us. We were all licensed realtors to come in and actually um, potentially snag some of these people before they ended up at the auction block. And so we started a short sale division of our company. And that was really interesting because my boss essentially gave me the notice of default list. So people who have hit 90 days late on their mortgage and they officially have an auction date, he would give me that list. And he said, you need to be in here every morning at 8 a.m. And I want you to call through all these people and I want you to get them in the office. So I didn't have a script. I didn't know what to say to these people. I just figured it out, winging it. Got him in. He came and did my first short sale listing appointment with me and let me watch. Second person that came in, he said, you're running it and I'm going to watch you. We signed him. And the third one, he said, you're on your own. And after that, I did I ran every single one of them. I signed every single person that came in and met with me or that I met at like a McDonald's or went and met them in their living room. And that year, I think we did 364 short sales, which is crazy. Our first year. And it was really chaotic because back then lenders didn't have the systems and processes to handle everything. So a lot of our job was really a lot of follow up, a lot of paperwork, a lot of banging our head against the wall trying to get these done. But we ended up being super successful in it. And it made me realize how much I enjoyed the emotional connection of being able to help these people. And I fell in love with it. Now, our data only went through 2021, but uh, at that point, you had a 100% sign rate of short sale listing appointments. Has that continued through to today? Yeah, it has. If you come and meet with me, I'm guaranteed to sign you. <laughs> awesome. And your Instagram handle, I believe, is the sure selling short seller, right? <laughs> yeah. And that's why Pace has been so successful. Laura closes everybody. Oh, no, no. <laughs> the ultimate closer. Sometimes I'll hear him on the phone. I'm like, how did you get them to tell you that? How did you figure out that piece of information that I've like been trying to figure out what's holding them back? Like he's so good. Oh my gosh, that man is like the king closer. What's really funny is we ran, uh, we did a, we owned a Homebusters franchise together and he would close them and then I would take them through, you know, the end, like run them through the escrow process, sign the contract, all that stuff. And it was really funny because the first time we started hearing Pace's stats, he was like the top three franchise in the entire United States for closing. So if he went on an appointment, he was like, his close ratio was insane. And I was like, wow, you're so good. Wow. Let's bring you out more. This is awesome. So Pace is a hidden assassin. Well, I'm impressed by your sales stat. I'm definitely not at 100%. Uh, Laura, I, lo I love your story because it reminds me just, you know, that 2008 to 2014 era is just like this 
isolated time capsule. And there's, I feel like there's a, there's a, a, a small percentage of us that really grinded it through those days, right? There was massive amounts of inventory. Uh, we had a very similar business taking people down to the auction, providing bidding service and financing down there. Um, and then, you know, I know we had, you know, done the same thing where we started doing short sales because a the people needed that service and and it kind of exploded where we were doing the same thing where we had like two to three hundred short sales at a time and that was absolute chaos. The amount of paperwork, tracking, ordering BPOs, and it was like I always say it was like the most miserable job of all time, pushing paperwork. It was like, you know, you're just kind of moving paperwork around. But and at some point it became so large because we really focused it on the service side. And, and, you know, you mentioned that a couple of times about, you know, not just looking at it as a transaction. And I think that's really important for all brokers, whether you're working with investors, short sale people, or just retail treat, you know, it's that relationship and taking care of your client gets you the business. And, you know, we had designed a service where we were helping people credit repair, moving them into new houses. And it just kind of exploded. Um, we had made that service, you based on the needs, right? Like, because I had a similar scenario where a lot of people were going through at the time where I had to short sale off four investment properties, way over leveraged, learned a lot about leverage during that time. And I know you have a very similar background and kind of a story, you know, with, with your, your parents of like having that negative, you're taking that negative experience and then building a service that really takes care of people. And it goes a long ways. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about that and, and, and how that event in your life kind of also changed how you work as a broker? Oh, absolutely. So I think it started just because I was trying to figure out a way to essentially create my own getting these people in the door. And so when you're cold calling these people, you're met with, I mean, they've been called 30, 40 times, you know, before you get on the phone with you and then you're talking to them and they say, you've already called me eight times today. And it was like, that's not me. That's someone from your company. And you don't want to argue with these people. See, real, I realized really quickly that that anger was a mask for just utter like embarrassment and how that translated to my life. So my dad ended up getting foreclosed on for two properties and so he had spent his whole life being a general contractor for other investors. And he was talked into starting in 2008, using his license to build his first like multi-million dollar spec home. And so he bought the lot, put the money into it, started spending all of his life savings to get this beautiful home done. And he had um, construction financing on the build and it was $2.3 million dollars. And when it was time to refi out of that temporary construction financing, the appraisal came back at $600,000. And so that's how much the market was in a free fall, especially at that price point. And so it became something to where he had taken money to do like things like the landscaping, the pool, shutters, you know, just these like little things to do the down payment. And he was absolutely tapped out. And then he lost that investment, but at the foreclosure auction. And so... My dad at that point, I mean, he was, you know, you reach a certain point in time where your ambition just kind of goes away. You are, you've done enough. You've grinded enough, you know? And so he was in his late sixties when this happened. And it was something that just completely took the wind out of his sails. It's something that he couldn't recover from anymore. He just didn't have it in him. He didn't have that drive, that testosterone, whatever you want to call it, to go and create that wealth that he had accumulated. And it, totally knocked him out. And so I've had to watch my dad 
now put on his bags like as a framing contractor and get up and frame houses now in his 70s just to put food on his table. And so it was something that I realized like, hey, you guys are really angry at me that I'm calling you and I'm calling you because I want to help you because I've seen how destructive an actual foreclosure auction can be and how scary it is to not know are you going to lose your house on Tuesday or is it going to get postponed again? And if you do, is someone going to lock you out? Do you know where your family's going to sleep on Wednesday night? Like those things are terrifying. And so when I shared what was going on in my world, I think it completely broke people down and they were like, okay, you get it. And then it made people more willing to talk to me and open up to me about what actually was going on because, you know, people don't just stop paying their house housing payment. You know, there's usually something happened. Back then, uh, extreme loss of value was a contributing factor for some people. But for a lot of people, it was loss of job, illness, death, divorce, like horrible things had happened to these people. And so they just felt like everyone was calling them to get a piece of their flesh or to get mad at them or to hound them for a payment that they just didn't have. And when you're calling them and saying like, look, like I, this has happened to, to, to my family. This is what's going on with me. And I know that I can help you. And I think really confidently also telling people, I can help you. Like, I will just, like, I have solutions. Let me talk to you. Please don't just go to foreclosure. That's the worst thing that you can do. And so I think just humanizing them and making them realize that I've been there too is great. And so you said that, you know, you had, you had been through it two, four times. Like, it's awful. Feel terrible. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's just... It's hard to hear how personal and destructive these foreclosure events are for every person um, that has to go through it, essentially. And in 2008, just for a context of scale, there were 2.3 million of these foreclosures. In 2010, there were close to 2.9 million foreclosures. That said, foreclosures have been declining pretty dramatically every year since then and reached a low of like 150,000 in 2021. It was almost, you know, really rare, rare essentially to, to see a foreclosure. That doubled in 2022 to 325,000 some odd, and it's growing again this year, but it's still 20 times less common than it was in those in those periods. I wanted to, to see like I, I when all of the government programs were going on for the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, the mortgage moratorium and things like that. I actually had a really bad feeling about it. And I wonder if you guys felt the same. I just felt like this was a Band-Aid that was going to create a larger problem in the future. But as far as the data that I'm seeing that's come out so far, everyone for a while there, when the moratorium was ending, was like, oh, there's this huge hidden bubble of foreclosures that's going to happen. And so far, although they're increasing, it hasn't really happened. So. It seems to me that, that those government programs surprisingly kind of worked. Pretty good episode, right? While you were listening, you could have been getting paid rent with RentApp. Landlords love RentApp because it makes rent collection a breeze. RentApp uses ACH bank transfers to deposit funds directly into your account. Setup is straightforward for renters. Landlords don't need to download anything. Both have peace of mind with a digital transaction history. Isn't it time you made landlording a little easier? Rent app, the best way to pay or collect rent. Learn more at rent.app slash landlord. That's rent.app slash landlord. Deciding how to invest your capital can be extremely challenging, especially when the market is constantly changing. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company that has a great track record. 
the BAM Capital executive team has successfully navigated through the Great Recession, COVID-19, and the current interest rate environment while delivering maximized returns to their partners. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator with over $1.3 billion in transactions, delivering a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital has consistently paid preferred return distributions for over 50 consecutive months, has not lost limited partners capital, and has not called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital's disciplined investment strategy is targeting undermanaged institutional quality trophy assets throughout the U.S. heartland for accredited investors who are looking for generational wealth building or monthly income opportunities. Their offerings target cash flow stability, capital preservation, long-term appreciation, and accelerated tax benefits. Join BAM Capital's over 1,200 investors across 44 states and get started today at BAMCapital.com. Again, that's BAMCapital.com. What if I told you that I, Mindy Jensen, the queen of budgeting, the personal finance fanatic, sometimes forgot to cancel my subscriptions? I know, it's horrible. $10 here, $15 there. My useless subscription bills could have taken my whole family out to dinner multiple times. Rocket Money can make all that subscription sadness suddenly vanish. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. You can see all your subscriptions in one place and cancel money-sucking subscriptions with a tap. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. That's rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation home owning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. I was going to, you know, it, we're talking about foreclosures today. They're a part of the market. They're back from, you know, basically being a non-factor two or three years ago. But what do you guys see, James and, and Laura, for foreclosures uh, coming forward here? Are you surprised that they're not roaring back in a way, you know, uh, uh, in a dramatic fashion and back kind of in those levels approaching the Great Recession? You know, with the amount of money that's been printed, there's it's still getting burned off right now. And so I do think it's going to trend up, uh, not to 2008 numbers by any means. That was just detrimental, not unless there's some other outside impact that kind of comes in. But what we are seeing is the tax foreclosure auctions are having a lot more. It, it's much higher than 300 percent increase. It, I mean, that list, because they, they suspended those. So those, that, those auctions are very heavy with what's being targeted right now. I think we just pulled that updated list and we've seen at least in our local market, a thousand percent increase 
but there was that moratorium, so it's going to be a big percentage. The other thing that we're seeing a lot of short sales on, or at least we are in our local market, is actually investors short selling their hard money lenders, where they're half built people. You know, a lot of what's going on right now, at least what we're seeing, is people took down short term debt that was expensive, the market deflated. And they're stuck in some expensive debt with a half-built project, and the lenders are jamming them up because they want don't want to issue any more funds because they don't have the cash to do it. That's really what it's a it's a much different foreclosure market than we saw in two thousand eight. Not that that doesn't mean that we're not going to see more personal stories run. You know, um, as the economy could potentially slow down, that's going to cause issues. But it's a different thing right now. Like every short we're. We're, every short sale that we're involved in today is actually with private banks and hard money lenders, not with your traditional lender. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, I'm uh, to be honest, I was terrified just because I had clients who were participating in putting their mortgage payments on hold. And when it came time for like, I saw the documents that were coming from the title companies where they were getting these like weird balloons and seconds that the bank was forcing them to get in order to keep their mortgage going. And I just thought, this is bad. I, I can just see, you know, most people don't have savings. And I have been surprised that it hasn't affected, you know, actual owner occupants more than I thought it would. Um, it's good that it hasn't. But, you know, talking about investors who got too expensive of money, I mean, we're seeing that too. I mean, we, you know, we had some flips with hard money on them, like we have one going on right now, that our hard money lender like he doesn't want to refi us out for that. And we're like, well, we still have it. It's a, I call it, this is so bad. I shouldn't probably say this on here, but I call it our dingleberry, where it's just like this weird one that we bought, you know, and it's keeps hanging on. And, you know, it's our fault. We had problems during construction and permits and stuff like that. So we're going to have to refi it out. And so if you, you know, don't have any excess capital in your flipping business or, you know, it, I could see how you could get in a ton of trouble if you're comping things wrong or being over generous. As the market started to soften, interest rates went up, less buyers were involved, you know, I can see how you could get in some trouble. Yeah, leverage is, you know, leverage is the thing that can be, the, it can be the best thing in the world and help you grow rapidly, but it also can be just a sand trap that you get stuck in, you can't get out of. And, you know, I think, you know, as we start to see more foreclosures increase, you hear all this hype, like, oh, there's going to be short sales because the market has compressed a little bit. And, you know, there there's going to be all this foreclosure coming to market, but I feel like it's going to be a different thing, right? Because back in the short sale days of 2008 to 2014, it was all about loan mods and short sales. And it was about that process pushing through with these huge banks that had all just bought tons of notes for pennies on the dollar. And it was a mess of notes, like a sea of bad debt. And that everyone was just trying to rip through and understand. And it was a very long process. Those short sales would take on average five, nine, 12 months, sometimes up to two years. We'd be working a short sale for somebody. And then this era, it seems like, you know, as we're seeing the greed, right? And that kind of is what spawned 2008. People are getting greedy. They could get free access to money. They would get it and go spend it on other things or they'd run into hard times with the economy. This was like the investor greed is what we're seeing a lot more. And it's a different short sale process. Like you, you, when you're when you're working with homeowners and, you know, as people are geared up, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day and they're like, hey, I'm getting geared up to start my short sale business up again. I'm like, yeah, but it's going to be kind of a different thing, like not targeting the homeowner, whereas with right now it's in that investment space and they're, they're smaller banks, local banks, and they'll move a lot quicker, whereas 
Before, it was like you had to order formal BPOs, submit the documents, update them every 30 days. What we're seeing now with our short sales is we can get a deal done really, really quickly with these lenders because they're hard money guys that want to get the debt off. And instead of being a nine-month process, they're getting processed in 30 to 45 days. And you're working with local bankers, so it's actually a lot easier streamlined process right now than it was back in 2008. Um one thing that we are also seeing on the short sale process as people are starting to go in is instead of going directly to the seller, it actually makes sense to go directly to the bank and try to short sale their note and buy their note from them and then work through the process because it's a, as investors, you can be very streamlined and get through it. If you're talking about buying paper, the, uh, we just bought a note. And we, it took us nine days to negotiate the note down about 32%. And so the lender's like, hey, we're midstream and cutting it out. So there, it's, it's going to be like a new way to be doing short sales. Instead of cold calling homeowners, we might be cold calling local banks trying to get the paper off. Have you, got, have you started looking into that as the short sale business could be making a comeback? Or is it something that is a, a thing of your past like it is for a lot of us brokers that had to do it? So we're so diversified right now. I feel like at this point, we have a lead that comes in. And it's like, what's the best way to tackle this? And you were talking about before we started, you were talking about projects that you'll take on that have something weird, like extending the sewer pipe, which most people won't touch that you're able to deal with. And I think that's one of our specialties as far as like problem houses is we will deal with like weird things. We'll deal with IRS debt. We'll deal with weird divorces. We'll deal with like, you know, people who have eight different loans and liens on their property. And so, you know, with us, it's like, what's the best way to tackle this and get the best solution for everybody? So I, I, Definitely, we don't specialize in that. We don't go after that specifically, but it depends on on the house and the person in the situation. So yeah, but that is so cool that you were able to negotiate that for so much less. And what'd you say, nine days? That's crazy. <laughs> That's amazing. So in, in some states, it seems like it can take months or over a year to foreclose on a residential property. James, are you saying that, and, and Laura, are you saying that the... Uh, process to foreclose on an investment property with a non, you know, Fannie Mae insured mortgage or, 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 or note against it is much different or faster? There, there's less options for investors, right? With a homeowner, you can contact the loss mitigation department or you can uh, and you can work out a payment plan, especially the coming off of COVID. The banks are still being very loose with the money. They, they don't want issues and they want to work people through. I think that was something that they realized from 2008 is if they would have worked with people more, the banks would have lost a lot less money. Like even if they were writing down notes and, and, and fixing and, and so they did learn a lot of hard lessons from 2008. But these are big banks that are working with residential people. So they, you know, when you're calling in as a homeowner, you can get your foreclosure extended. You can prevent it. They'll, they'll drag their feet. But when you're dealing with a hard money lender and they're dealing with investors inside their fund that also sold off a fraction of their note to a different bank, these are money guys that want to get a deal done and they're ready to move on, take a loss and, and redeploy out their money. And especially if it's for an asset that they don't understand. So it, it's, it's about the difference of working with the type of bank and then the people asking, there's a lot less sympathy for investors, right? Like, I mean, if you go to the, your permitting department, the residential homeowner is going to get their permits a lot faster than an investor. Same with this is it, the bank. It's because it was done for a commercial purpose with a commercial intent. 
the bank is going, hey, this business now is over. We're going to move forward. So I think it's the decision makers and there's a lot less red tape on the hard money side. And so it just streamlines the process. And also when you're calling them about buying their note, they're just doing a deal. They're looking at what's their cost of money, how much they can deploy it out for in a rapid way. Can they make up their yield and get their loss back in and then just move it on from there? And so a lot of times it makes a lot more sense for them to take a fraction or pennies on the dollar rather than to let this this loan accumulate and rack up more debt and take it to auction. Yeah. Get the money back and they can send it out to someone else. So, yeah. If you guys had to guess, you know, there was 300, 325,000 some odd foreclosures last year, probably pacing for 375 this year. What, what percentage of these are investors with hard money notes and what percentage are owner-occupant? I don't think that data exists, but do you, do you have a guess? It still has to be fairly low because, you know, I mean, the, the amount of investor transactions, I think, is 1% is owned by investors nationwide. But I would think that it's still going to be a higher, like you're probably still in that 10 to 15% range because there's a lot of multifamily, commercial, all those things are classed in there and there's some stuff in default right now. And so I would say, you know, if it was my guess, I would say 5%, which would be substantially higher than the statistical average of, of investment property owned. But in our local market, I'm probably seeing a good 5 to 8% of its investment product. Okay, so this, so the, the 80-20 or the 95-5 is going to be the... Uh, individual losing their home, essentially. And one of the reasons I think why there's lower foreclosure volume today is because I don't think the Great Recession is because of the uh, less job loss to a large degree than, than in the Great Recession in the last couple of years. And then the the much better overall quality of mortgages in this country. Most mortgages are 30 years. Most mortgages are fixed rate. Most mortgages are underwritten for folks with excellent credit scores um, and those types of things. People will fight like like hell to, to keep those mortgages um uh because they're they're so low interest and the alternative is going and paying a lot more in rent or or buying a property. Um so Laura, when we're talking about the homeowners that are getting foreclosed on in this market, what what is the the nature of the situation that's afflicting the the folks that are getting foreclosed on today? What what are some of the things you're seeing that are specifically happening um in the current environment? So it, it always comes from pain. And unfortunately, no matter what's going on in the market, there's just some universal things that will happen to people. So job loss, again, unemployment still at a historic low, but job loss, divorce, death, things like that, where people end up in a situation where they're not making their housing payment. And again, the whole thing of like someone just up and deciding someday, hey, I'm not going to make my house payment. I'm just going to keep my money. That does happen, but it's super rare. It's always a pain point. And so it's something to where, I mean, we've kind of honed in on short sales, but there's so many more options for people and especially us as investors that we can present to them. Um, and I think before in the past in my career, I've been hyper-focused on saying, hey, I'm I'm calling and I'm bringing you in because I want you to sign up for a short sale. And right now, you know, there's solutions that people can break even or maybe they can even make a little bit of money or, you know, they can leave their loan in place and we can reinstate it and take it over sub two. Like there's other like interesting options that actually work out really well for investors that isn't just short sales. And so I think coming into a situation like this where um, I, especially doing wholesale for a couple of years, like my initial default was cash offer. And that's not always the best solution for everybody. And that's not always the thing that's going to make you the most money too. So um, I think that 
like having a couple tools in your tool belt as an investor for some options for these people, getting them in and deciding, hey, what's the best way for us to tackle this that works out? But I think it's really cool that there's so many things that are working out really well for people who are in foreclosure. That isn't just short sales and isn't just a cash. Okay, two, two follow-up questions here. One of them may be a dumb one here. Um, but first, are the, the dumb one, are, are all of these foreclosures or most of them short sales in the current environment or is something else happening um, with these foreclosures or pre-foreclosures? Not. I mean, a lot of these people have equity, which is so interesting. And I'm sure you, you've run into that too. Like, you're like, what are you doing? Like, you could just sell your house. You could have listed your house to the realtor and got rid of it. But again, there's usually some other things that are going into play where maybe it's not the correct house to sell on the open market with a real estate agent. Maybe there's some deferred maintenance that are going on to here. Maybe it's a hoarder situation. You know, there could be a million things. Maybe the roof is horrible. Like usually these pain things kind of coincide with the condition of the property as well. So but sometimes they do have equity or sometimes like there could be something to where they could just break even and get out from underneath it. So um, short sale isn't the thing that we're seeing the most often. And especially in, you know, the world that I live in, which is creative finance subject to, we're buying a lot of these subject to, you know, we're reinstating the loan because it's cheap money. You know, these people have two, three percent interest rates on the house. Why would we ever want to get rid of it? So it's like, hey, you're in default. Let's, you know, re- catch you up, reinstate it and we'll purchase the property. And they're happy because, you know, they don't have any more late payments. We're making the payments on their behalf, which is helping their credit go back up. And we're happy we got cheap money. So so can you, you know, uh, that's fascinating. So it wasn't a dumb question after all. People are actually getting foreclosed on with equity and low interest rate mortgages in the current environment. Um, and it's not, a, and it, and not in the context of a short sale. Can you walk us through an example of one of these situations that may have happened in the recent past and what pain the homeowner was facing and what, what how and why uh, a home might have transacted that had equity and a low interest rate mortgage, um, it, it, but gone through foreclosure. This is one of my favorite ones because I wonder. Sometimes I'm like, I wonder if any of these sellers will ever watch this because I'm, you know, I'm gonna air a little bit of dirty laundry for their pain points. But um, we had this really awesome guy. He had built. We have this really cool mountain range in Mesa, Arizona, that's called the Superstition Mountains, and they're just beautiful. It's this old like super million year, million plus year old volcano and it's gorgeous. But if you get out there and you get a piece of property, it's so cool. And he built, he and his wife, this amazing house where he even set up their primary bathroom to have this beautiful soaking tub that was copper that she could look out and see the superstition mountains. Anyways, they got a divorce. So horrible, very contentious divorce. Horrible, horrible, horrible. Um, on top of that, he did not grade the prop property properly. And so it was dirt and he kind of built it up on a hill. And so all of, you know, as it was raining and monsoon season, he was getting, it was just falling away from the foundation of the house. So in his mind, he's like, this was a romantic gesture. I want nothing to do with it. My wife wants out of it. Or my ex-wife, I should say at this point. And there's also like, there's going to be some issues that I don't know how to fix. And so he moved out. He, he and his son, and he was like, why am I going to continue to pay on this? Like, why am I going to make two housing payments? I'm going through a divorce and paying attorney's fees. I'm going to have to pay alimony. I'm going to have to pay child support. So he was in a bit of a, you know, a messy situation as divorces can be. And that is one of the most common things. And so we got in touch with him and we were like, hey, you know, 
like this is actually a really amazing property. It would make a great, you know, short term rental for us. We didn't tell them that, but like that's how we were looking at it. We're like, this is essentially a brand new house. And it's in a really cool spot. And so we offered him terms. So we were like, hey, could we just take over your mortgage? I mean, he had just recently secured financing. It was like two year old house. And so he was like, you'll catch me up. Yep. You'll take over it. I'm not responsible for any of the repairs. I'm not responsible for the maintenance. Like you'll pay the property taxes. You'll pay the homeowner's insurance. Yep. And he was like happy to do it, you know? So we're like, how much money do you want? You know, what price do you want to sell to to us? And he was like, honestly, I just want to get out of it. So we cut him a check for like 10 grand, reinstated his loan. And so I think it was like, it was just under 3%. And it was great. I mean, turning that into a short-term rental, even turning into a long-term rental would have cash flow, but turning into a short-term rental. And it was, it was great. He had a dog. The worst thing we had to do is like, figure out how to get the dog smell out of the house. But for the most part, it was a beautiful house. We furnished it, we got it up and it worked out perfectly. And he's happy too. Awesome. So, so that's one example of why someone would walk away from equity uh, in a situation. So there you go. Like, there's the the pain and um, the specific uh, uh, circumstance that, that's facing someone. Now let's, let's put ourselves in the shoes of someone who's on the other side of this. I'm not an investor, but I'm someone who's about to get foreclosed on or I'm, I'm this individual, right? Potentially. Um, and I'd love to go through two examples. One, what does someone do if they're facing foreclosure and they have equity and these long, the, the, this, this great interest rate debt? What are their options? And let's go through the same exercise again after that for someone who's facing a short sale situation. Um, cause you said that's a portion of the foreclosure hitting the market here as well. So obviously the best case scenario, and I'm sure we could all agree is for them to list with a real estate agent. So not everyone who's going to be watching this podcast as a real estate agent. So they're thinking, if I come across this type of lead. Why would I just give it to some realtor? Well, a realtor can cut you back something, send you a referral fee, do something to make it worth your time. The problem is, is once a house is in foreclosure, it obviously has a foreclosure date looming. And so um, putting a house up on the traditional market, you're not guaranteed to get an offer in two, three days, get it accepted, get through, have the buyer who's getting a new loan, not have any problems that's going to delay things because you can't have delays, you know? It has to happen. The house has to sell before it gets foreclosed on. And so if you're banking on that being the solution, it sometimes is not. Um, you, If you refer it to a real estate agent who's savvy, they'll be able to postpone the sale as long as they have an accepted purchase contract. And so that is a solution to that caveat. That's a problem. Um, but a lot of times, too, these do have a condition issue. So if you take, for example, the guy that we were just talking about, a buyer would see the grading issue, like the literally the dirt just falling out from under this guy's slab. That would scare a lot of retail buyers away, you know, because how expensive is that to fix? And so being a good realtor, you could go get a bid for to, to fix that so you can disclose to the buyers like, hey, we've brought someone over. This is how much it would be. And so that they're not afraid of it, but you're still going to scare a lot of people off. So although that is technically the best solution, it doesn't always work out on paper. And I think that's one of the things that when um, people hear like short sales, like not short sales, when people hear about me talk about foreclosures, I think that they want me um, to kind of live in this fairy tale world where someone has, you know, some equity that it works out perfectly that we give the house from an owner occupant to another owner occupant and they make all of the money and it works out perfectly. And it's like a Disney movie. 
but it doesn't always work out like that. And that a lot of times is due to condition or just the constraints of the timeline. So that would be the first option. The second thing you could do is give them a cash offer. So, you know, we're talking about offering people cash. Like sometimes people will take less than what is owed based on pain, based on just wanting to get out from underneath it. Even if they make five or 10 grand that they're guaranteed to make, they'll happily take it and be rid of the situation, be rid of the pain, be rid of their problem, then potentially list it and make 25, 30 grand after commissions and months of worrying about it. And it might not even go through. So a cash offer is a great thing to do. And then creative finance is something to where you can offer somebody, you know, retail and take over their cheap money and still make the deal work for your end goal, which would be, you know, holding on to it, keeping it in your portfolio, either turning into a short term, midterm, long term rental. And it still can pencil out even if you're technically buying it for retail. So Creative finance is another excellent solution for that. And none of those involved actually letting the house foreclose or doing a short sale. Yeah. And it's about what, you know, the, when the foreclosure process starts, you know, we've worked with a ton of different sellers. Again, we have a very similar background to Laura, where we'd be out driving properties, climbing up trees, looking at windows, trying to figure out condition we were bidding on them. And, you know, and what we've always found with the off market sellers, like when we're talking off market sellers, there's really two, it, it comes down to what are they, what kind of, just like anything, what kind of product they have. And, you know, the good thing about getting that cash offer that Laura is talking about for a lot of these sellers, because what we are seeing is it's really not the people that just got financing today or in the last couple of years that are in default. It's those, there's all, no matter what's going on in the market, there's always that core demographic where there's some sort of symptom of, di- of distress with its repairs on the property that are in default and moving towards auctions. You know, the, the the beautiful thing about the cash offer is, you know, like right now in the market, there's a huge variance. And I've seen this in almost every market I've looked at between as-is comps and then fully renovated properties. And as as the market, everything's gotten more expensive, debt, as cash is starting burning up, the demand for housing right now is for fully finished properties. That's what people want to buy because they want to hang on to their cash. And what we've actually noticed, and I was telling my off-market team this the other day, I'm like, you guys, why are we paying more off-market than we are on-market for fixers? And and, and so the, the thing about foreclosures and off-market sales, because the condition, it's always about that as-is value. What, what will this property trade for in the current condition on-market? And what we have found, the reason we've gotten so many off-market deals done recently on these fixers is we can go to sellers and say, hey, look, here's four homes in the area in the same condition that just sold. We're going to take off the real estate commissions, and this is what the seller netted. We can actually offer more almost every time than what those are selling for on market and give them a structured sale to where they can they can get packed up, that we can delay the foreclosure, we can get them into a new property, get them into credit repair. And you know, it it's funny, a lot of times people think of cash offers as low to these investors and the their sellers and that they should be taking it to market, but it's actually more detrimental than it is going through that structured sale. Uh, you know, especially if an investor can buy a property off market and structure the terms right. Maybe they can get a longer close, get a little bit cheaper financing. Maybe they can uh, get a lower down payment because they have a longer close and then go through more underwriting at that point. The off market cash sales for fixer properties are actually selling higher than they are on. And that's, I think that's important to think about when anybody's working with foreclosure 
people is give them all the scenarios and look at the data. And don't ever forget about that as-is value because you can give people everything that they want, the most amount of money, and get them in a new situation and still get a really good buy as an investor. I think you brought up something really interesting is understanding the actual pain that this person is having and what they actually want. Because a lot of times these people, you know, maybe the thing that they want is they want some extra time in the property. They want help finding their next home. They want help with moving. And it can be something that's really small that then you can say, okay, well, this is what I want. This is the price I would need this house at. And you can make a deal happen and you'd be surprised at what you can get it for. So Laura, if you're uh, either on the buy or the sell side in in a foreclosure situation, um, how important do you think it is to work with an experienced investor friendly agent? I mean, I think that um, if you're going to be helping an actual homeowner that's in foreclosure, you have to know what you're doing if you're going to do a short sale. So um, you can make a mistake by getting once you're done with the entire thing, all that paperwork that we were talking about earlier, you get what's called a short sale approval letter. And if you don't know what you're doing and you don't know what to look for, you could either end up put having like this weird um, ability for them to file a deficiency judgment against your seller. And that's one of the things that you want to make sure that you negotiate is that they don't go and do that once the property is closed. And so there's just a little few things here and there. So if you're going to take it on as an agent, if you're not familiar, I'm not saying don't do it, but just see if maybe you can partner up where you are the co-list or maybe you refer it to a short sale experienced agent and you ask to learn the process or to shadow them. But I would definitely not just do it just because you're dealing with such a sensitive thing where someone's already in hot water. And these people that end up in foreclosure, they've usually already drained their savings. They've gone to any friends or family members that they could have borrowed money from. And if they're not making their house payment, you know, they're not paying their property tax, they're not paying their HOA. Sometimes they're not paying credit cards. They're not paying for their cars. So it's like these people are in a really bad situation and you don't want to advise them or help them through something to where they have something like the people I was just talking about where you end up with a deficiency judgment and you don't even have the house either. I think that's a huge point for, you know, like uh, when you talk about brokers in general, just hiring the right broker for what you're trying to accomplish, you know, and like these short sale brokers, like if you're a seller that needs to do a short sale, finding that specialist to really walk you through that transaction. Or like you said, you focus a lot with investors and doing tons more business and focusing on that primary business. It's very easy for, you know, people to just call that broker that they know, whereas each broker is different. You know, like if someone wants to go get shown around 20 homes and go through a bunch of open houses, I'm not their guy. I'm an investment guy, looks at numbers and I sell math, you know, and, and it, I think that's just really important for anybody. It doesn't matter if you're an investor, homeowner, uh, first time home buyer, doesn't matter what it is, hire that specialist because not all real estate brokers are the same, nor should they be and find the person that is going to help get you aligned with your goals, not just who you know. It That is the biggest mistake. Hiring who you know isn't always a good thing. Hire who knows you, what you're trying to accomplish and you'll excel much further. You're not going to have $25,000 deficiencies. You're going to get the right deals if you're an investor and just really picking that right broker is fundamentally important. Laura, anything else you'd like to share on this topic of foreclosures, the opportunities, challenges, and uh, 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 creative uh, situations that it presents? Absolutely. I appreciate all the real estate agents that are watching this and are opening their eyes to this other side of the business. But I also really want to encourage real estate investors to look at this section 
as a potential money-making thing because these people do have pain and they have a timeline. How many times are we working with sellers that have pain, but you you just can't push them to sign? You can't push them to make a decision because they're on the fence because there is no timeline. With a foreclosure, unfortunately, these people's backs are against the wall. This house is going to sell on this date. Maybe it'll get postponed, but there is a set time frame for them to make a decision. And so there is really good opportunities to make money not just by referring it to a real estate agent to do a short sale, but to take some of these over subject too, to give these people cash offers and get some good fix and flips going in your portfolio. Like there's so many ways to make money in this small niche that it definitely shouldn't be overlooked. And there's some hot markets that are definitely seeing an increase. Detroit had an 807% increase in foreclosures. Denver had a 641% increase. So if you don't necessarily have a lot of in, you know inventory coming and going as far as foreclosures are in your local market, it might be a good idea to maybe look into the Denver market and see if maybe you can start calling some of these sellers, understanding what they're going through and presenting a situ- like a, an actual solution for these people because they really do need help and they need someone who understands them and can give them advice other than just hey, I guess we're going to lose our house someday and I don't know what to do. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Laura. Um, congratulations on your incredible real estate investing success and the uh, 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 tons of people you've helped, the tons of transactions that you've been a part of. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with us today. And we hope you have a wonderful rest of your week uh, in beautiful Montana. Thank you. I will. Appreciate you. All right. That was Laura Morby. James, what'd you think? Oh, I love the story. I was having flashbacks of uh, my career. It was very similar, you know, getting going, the chaos of the foreclosure, uh, the, the chaos of the foreclosure market back then and just banging doors, working through short sales, helping people out. It was, it, I was having like little visual flashbacks as she was chatting. Yeah, I, I think it's a really interesting topic. I think that uh, I, I'm actually surprised that foreclosures aren't more of a factor right now. I, th- I would have... I think two or three years ago, I would have been thinking, absolutely, we're going to see a lot more foreclosures in a rising interest rate environment. Um, and I think that the quality of the mortgages that are out there, the uh, amount of equity people have, the uh, uh, the debt to equity ratios in a lot of cases, and the fact that some people have own their, their homes free and clear, I think all that's contributing to a still very low but rising rate of foreclosures in this country. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where that goes next. Yeah. And I think it's really going to come down to what is the economy going to do? If we go into recession, we could see it. And if not, and we kind of skate by this recession, people could, there, there could be a very, very small uptake in foreclosures. Well, James, should we get out of here? Let's do it. All right. He is James Daynard and I am Scott Trench saying chop, chop, lollipop. If you enjoyed today's episode, please give us a five star review on Spotify or Apple. And if you're looking for even more money content, feel free to visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash biggerpocketsmoney. Bigger Pockets Money was created by Mindy Jensen and Scott Trench. Produced by Kaylin Bennett. Editing by Exodus Media. Copywriting by Nate Weintraub. Lastly, a big thank you to the Bigger Pockets team for making this show possible. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom, and the best investors know it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into real estate investing or take it to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With the Bigger Pockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. 
Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals. Enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and boom, instantly matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.